Hi, I'm Guy Powell, and welcome to the next episode of The Backstory on the Shroud of Turin. If you haven't already done so, please visit GuyPowell.com and sign up for more episodes. I am the author of the upcoming book, The Only Witness, A History of the Shroud of Turin. It is a historical fiction tracing a possible yet plausible history of the Shroud over the last two millennia. Today, we'll be speaking with Myra Adams, co-founder and executive director of signfromgod.org, signfromgod.org, a ministry to educate people about the Shroud of Turin. But before we get started, let me just tell a short story. Uh, just a week and a half ago, I met Myra when I was up in Washington, D.C. at the Museum of the Bible with the opening of their new Shroud exhibit. And it was uh, it was a phenomenal opening, and I was privileged to hear a bunch of speakers, including Myra, talk and uh, and and also get to know her. And then we had dinner together with her and with uh, Russ Prealt. And Russ, as you know, is one of the uh, preeminent experts on the Shroud, and so is Myra. And I look forward to hearing her comments here as well. In any case, if you get a chance, definitely plan a trip to Washington D.C and visit the Shroud exhibit at the Museum of the Bible before July of this year, before it's gone. And with that, let me introduce uh, Myra Adams. Myra Khan Adams is a political and religious writer with over a decade of numerous national credits starting in 2010. Since January 2021, she has been an op-ed contributor to The Hill, and since 2018, an op-ed contributor to Real Clear Politics. She was also a National Review contributor from 2014 to 2018. Myra is co-founder and executive director of signfromgod.org, a ministry dedicated to educating people about the Shroud of Turin. Starting in May 2018, she spearheaded the effort to open an exhibit about the Shroud of Turin at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., the exhibit opened February 26 and runs through the end of July, July 31st. Myra has written extensively about the Shroud of Turin and today ranking high on Google when one searches for Shroud of Turin. It's about a 2019 Shroud Primer co-written by Myra and Shroud expert Russ Brialp. And Russ, of course, is a founding member also of signfromgod.org. So uh, the article was titled Shroud of Turin, Facts and History Everyone Should Know. Since February 2020, Myra has written a weekly Bible study on townhall.com. This past Sunday, March 13th, study volume 104 was posted. And the first 56 studies were compiled into a new book called The Bible Study for Those Who Don't Read the Bible. And that is available on Amazon. Her second book with Bible Studies 57 to 100 will be published in late this summer. Welcome, Myra. It's so good to have you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, fantastic. So let's get started. So why don't you tell us how you first got uh, involved with the Shroud of Turin? You know, I'm asked that a lot, and I can't tell you the moment where all of a sudden I thought, wow, this is amazing. I need to uh, dedicate you know, decades of my life to, uh, to help educate people about this. No, that did not happen. Um, so I honestly can't tell you the moment it happened, but I can't tell you a couple things I do remember. Um, one of them in particular was in Harpers Ferry, West Virginia, of all places, was, we used to live in the Washington, D.C. area for many years. And Harpers Ferry 
has, you know, very storied history in the Civil War. And, and um, anyway, it's a wonderful place. They filmed a lot of Civil War movies there. But anyway, on the top of a hill there, they have an, an old Catholic church that dates back to the Civil War. And we were just visiting uh, Harpers Ferry one day. We walked into this church and, and we noticed that there was this sculpture, uh, a full-size sculpture of Christ on a cross but he looked very different than you normally see in churches. What he had all over his body were blood marks and wounds and all the all the marks that you read about that that he that were that were uh, you know put upon him in the in the passion as you read in the gospels. So as you can imagine this crucifix sculpture of Christ was very difficult to look at. <laughs> you, you just didn't want to endure what this man endured. So I never forgot that. And I noticed that when they had the description of what this was, it said it was modeled, it was made in Italy, and it was modeled after the Shroud of Turin. So I guess I filed that away somewhere. Uh, and then, and I can't even tell you when this was, it maybe might have been in the 80s sometime. I don't even know when this happened. But anyway, I do remember that in the late 90s, I went to an exhibit that was at uh, Catholic University, and it was about the Shroud. And at that exhibit is when I really learned a lot, and I got particularly interested in it at that point, uh, because it did diagram all the marks that I had seen on that statue many years before. It talked about all the mysteries. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. This has to be the real thing. I, I couldn't imagine it being anything but the real thing. So that, that got me really interested in it. And then in, uh, in 2010, I happened to notice that there was a, um, a documentary on the Discovery Channel called uh, The Real Face of Jesus. And it was about 3D modeling of, of what they believed was um, Jesus in the Shroud of Turin. And in fact, it was able to be modeled because the Shroud, they found out, had 3D distance information. And they were able to model it. And actually determine, you know, what he really looked like. Around that same time, my husband and I were going on a trip to Italy to see the shroud. It was on display in, in 2010. And I noticed on this documentary, they had a man by the name of Barry Schwartz. I thought, oh, that's really neat. He's going to be our, our tour guide when we get there. I thought, what a coincidence that is. Uh, so anyway, we met Barry. He got interested in the shroud. We saw the shroud. And then um, basically, I, you know, I've been interested in it ever since. But what happened in 2012, I started writing. I wrote my first piece about the Shroud. So it had been two years since I'd seen it. Uh, but I, I wrote my first piece about the Shroud. And it was something that was on PJ Media, which is now owned by Salem, which owns Town Hall. Uh, but at the time, it, it wasn't. Um, and the piece was, was I think it was titled... Uh, the Shroud of Turin, you know, what, what technology will, you know, has revealed and will reveal in the future, something, something about that. But anyway, what happened is an editor um, contacted me and said, hey, there's somebody who uh, wants to contact you. We saw your, your piece about the Shroud. So it turns out that person was Russ Brio, who uh, I found out was one of the world's most renowned Shroud experts. So um, he and I became friends. I went to hear him speak for the first time. And um so we just really continued our relationship and we have been friends ever since this day. And we started co-founded with my husband and, uh, and Mark Antonassi, who's also a shroud expert. Um, the four of us started um, Sign from God 
in, um, I guess it was late 2017 is when we first started it. So that's how it all came about. And I could go on for hours about, you know, the, the, how the, how God in fact inspired me for the, for the, the actual URL sign from God, but I'll maybe talk about that later. Sure. No, that's a, that's a great story. And uh, I mean, good for you. That uh, definitely one of the things on my bucket list is to get to actually see the real shroud. Um, I did appreciate though, the, uh, the, the, uh, the replica shroud that the, Museum of the Bible had. I thought that was actually pretty phenomenal. And and I ended up uh, talking about it with my wife and telling her all the different marks and everything. And then people were starting to listen to me as if I was then the, the expert at it. So it was really good for my ego. So I enjoyed that. But uh, yeah, so uh, how did you then get involved with the Museum of the Bible and the Shroud exhibit? Oh boy, wrinkles. Uh, this wrinkle happened because of this, and this wrinkle happened because of that. It was it was a long journey. Um, what happened is, in fact, I wrote about this in um, a piece I wrote for Town Hall the day that the shot exhibit opened on February twenty sixth. Um, I wrote a Town Hall piece that that talked about the opening of the exhibit and why you should see it. And in that piece, I, I kind of give the history of how I got involved. Um, to make a very long story short, what happened was the Museum of the Bible opened in November of 2017. And uh, I had been a, a uh, my husband and I had been donors, you know, small donors for um, for actually a few years before that. And so I was very interested, you know, to, to go to it when it opened. So we went and I'm walking around looking and, and I noticed that they didn't have anything about the Shroud. It's like the Shroud of Turin did not exist in the Museum of the Bible. And I thought, oh, that's not good. So um, what ended up happening was in, and this was again total God thing. That okay, that was in November 2017. In May of 2018, I happened to be attending an event. It's called the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast. And it has a lot of, you know, VIPs there in the Catholic community. And people from the Museum of the Bible were there. Uh, because they were trying to actually cultivate the uh, more Catholic visitors to the museum. And I happened to meet a woman who worked with the museum and I, who happened, I happened to know her from years before we had met at a political event, but anyway, she remembered me. She knew me. She introduced me to some of the powers that be at the museum of the Bible who were at the reception uh, the night before the national Catholic prayer breakfast. So I met them. And of course I said in my shy way, you know, I'm involved with the with the Shroud of Turn. Here's my card, signed from God.org. And, and you guys really need to have an exhibit about the Shroud. And of course they, you know, like, okay, go away. Um, but then, um, you know, I, you know, kept bugging them. And and to make a, very, <laughs> a long journey very short, uh, it opened miraculously February 26th, 2022. It was supposed to have opened in February 2021. So it did get unnecessarily delayed, you know, a year, but uh, it was still a long journey. And ironically, I mean, this is something that you know, we can talk about because I just think it is phenomenal is literally the day that the shroud exhibit opened. I think you were there that day for the press mm -hmm. opening, which was yep. on a Wednesday. It was February 23rd. That is the day literally the war started in Ukraine. Mm. And I thought to myself that, that timing, and I remember talking to Russ Briero about this. I mean, that timing is just too coincidental for me. <laughs> it, it just kind of blew me away. And in fact, I actually mentioned that in my town hall piece 
about the shroud. Uh, I believe it's a source of comfort. I believe Jesus Christ is a source of comfort. I believe the word of God is a source of comfort. And to have the shroud exhibit open on that day um, has to mean something. And maybe it's the end of the world. I don't know. I mean, we could talk about that too. But it just it's too much of a coincidence. The timing is is just amazing. So, you know, we can talk about that. And in fact, Russ, Russ and I have talked about it at length, but also um, Jeff Kloha mentioned it in uh, one of the interviews that he did about the timing of it. Uh, he thought that was also yeah. you know, something yeah, worth And Jeff Kloha is the uh, chief curator of uh, Museum curator. of the Bible. Yeah, yeah, sorry. And so, uh, yeah, you, you know, you're right. Uh, and you brought that up when we uh, when we met as well. And uh, and it is kind of a, it is a, a, an interesting I don't know if you'd call it a coincidence, but, you know, it's certainly something that that ties the two together. And I think even with uh, with COVID, there might be some connections and there's certainly uh, connections with past plagues with the Shroud of Turin as it uh, progressed over the last 2000 years. So, uh you never know. Maybe that is the, uh, the hopefully the end of the, the 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 COVID plague, and then hopefully it's a it'll end up being a positive sign for the the war in, in the Ukraine. Right. In fact, Russ Briot could tell you, you know, every bit of history about how the shroud has appeared at mm. certain times of of you know trauma, pain, suffering, pestilence, war in the world. So he he really is an expert in, in detail about. About that, I can talk in broad strokes and grand gestures about it, but he he actually really knows the specifics of when it has, in fact, there's a history of this. Yeah, he sure does, and he uh, and his talk uh, at the uh, at the museum uh, during the launch was incredibly informative. He is he is a uh, an absolute wealth of knowledge. But anyway, so uh, now what is the what is then the mission of uh, signfromgod.com? dot org. .org. Sorry about that. I, oh, don't forget thank that. Thank you. <laughs> Sign from God, daughter. I, I actually went in this time for shameless self-promotion. My The famous signfromgod.org coffee mug. Yes. If you uh, give us a donation for $35 or more, $50. You get Absolutely. To, you and get then here's the, the card. The famous Sign from God coffee mug. And I like to say that Jesus will not turn your coffee into wine, but nothing is impossible with God. So, that is very true. No. Well, and I have um, one of your uh, business cards, and on the back it has the uh, the uh, the reverse image of the uh, Shroud of Turin. Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, the sign from God um, mission is to education. I mean, it's it's really simple as that. I used to say evangelization, but Russ one time said, "No, don't say that. Don't say that." that you know, people just don't know what to what you mean when you say that. So um, you now say. Shroud education. And the shroud itself can evangelize <laughs> if it wants to, but it just really just educating people about the shroud. If you go to signfromgod.org, um, you will read all about it and, and learn a lot. And um, hopefully it will pique your interest for, for further study. So that's basically what it does. And then uh, along the way, we've gotten involved in, as I said, the Museum of the Bible has been our big thing, um, helping to sponsor events. Uh, we were one of the sponsors of the opening event of the February 26th uh, museum opening. Uh, before that, we had been involved in the October 9th Shroud Speakers event as a speaker. Um, the year, I guess it was uh, January of 2020, we got involved and uh, we weren't actually in a a sponsor, but we were very involved with that whole thing. Um, so I guess sponsoring events 
and uh, educating people and, and writing articles and, and just getting people to understand that this is something that's worthy of their time and study and not to just cast it off and just say, oh, it's fake. Go away. Yeah, it's surprising how many uh, I was telling a good friend of mine that I was writing this book on uh, on the Shroud of Turin and he goes, oh, wasn't that debunked? And uh, did, wasn't there some radio testing of some kind? And I uh, then, of course, had to explain to him that that the debunkers were debunked. And so, uh, you know, so that that radiocarbon testing and uh, has has really been debunked. And and, uh, uh, you know, although there is there's maybe a tiny minuscule chance that it's not authentic. It certainly seems that all of the scientific testing, other than that radiocarbon testing, has really proven that it uh, it is really truly the authentic burial cloth of uh, of Jesus Christ. That's right. It amazes me too because that came out in 1988, and it has been debunked, uh, you know, countless times. Particularly when uh, Tristan Casabianca in um, in 2017 got a hold of the raw data that had literally been hidden for almost 30 years and had never, <laughs> never been re-examined. And he filed a uh, freedom of information uh, lawsuit against the British Museum that had been holding all the raw data. And he determined that, uh, I think there needs to be a second look on this because this does not add up to the conclusion of what they said that the shroud dated from, um, I think it was 1290 to 1360, I think. 1260 to 1390, yep. Uh, that resembles coincidentally resembles the shroud in just amazing ways. The Hungarian prey codex is probably the most amazing example. And that, that came out in, um, in two, in uh, what the 1100s, I think. Yep. Um, but the point is, is that the shroud is, I believe the very, the authentic burial cloth of Jesus, but the concept of that is so challenging to people who maybe do not believe in Jesus, do not have any faith uh, or have different faith. The concept of this cloth is physical proof that Jesus Christ died and was resurrected is just too mind-blowing for people to wrap their arms around. So instead, it's just easier to just cast it off and just say, oh, it's fake. You know, then that way they don't have to deal with it, you know. <laughs> So I, yeah. I like to say, yeah. put it in those terms, because I, I truly that is that is true. Yeah. And I think uh, even for me um, in 19, I remember reading about the uh, the Sterp exhibit, which is where Barry Schwartz got involved in the shroud. And uh, he was the uh, the official uh, photographer there. And and they did a whole bunch of uh, scientific studies on the on the shroud. And I remember reading about that and I go, well, that's really interesting. And you know, it was kind of I'd never heard that there was a, a burial cloth that then had this image on it, this this this, you know, this art from God, so to speak, or this sign from God on it. And um, and then, you know, I kind of put that away and didn't really think about it too much. And then in 88, 1988 was when that radiocarbon testing came out. And and that unfortunately turned me off to the shroud as, oh, OK, so it's fake. Mm -hmm. And uh, but then, you know, the shroud, uh, you know, all of the shroud followers, followers, I call them the shroudists, they did a really good job. And then uh, to get that information out of the British Museum and use statistics against them here, they use statistics against the shroud and the statistics were turned around against them to debunk the debunkers. Right. And it's really it's it's kind of a fascinating story how that 
uh, how then when they look at all of the samples and all of the testing and the dating that was done, that it, uh, that their conclusions are just, uh, just not tenable. They're not tenable at all. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things about what you just said. Um, one of them, you could actually have Barry Schwartz on again. You, you, you obviously had him on before, but you could have him on again. I mean, he could speak to this about how after the Shroud, the STIRP committee gave their final their final report in 1981, and they famously concluded that the Shroud was not the product of an artist and that it was worthy of uh, a future study. And that's when the Shroud really took off. I mean, they got all this publicity. National Geographic did a famous cover story. And I think the museum actually has that, uh, that cover story in the... Uh, in its exhibit. Uh, but anyway, that's when the Shroud really became popular. Uh, and then, as Barry likes to say, after the carbon dating was um, was revealed, that the Shroud, interest in the Shroud, research in the Shroud, it just like shut, boom. And it it just hurt the Shroud in ways that, you know, it's it's literally still recovering. It's or, still recovering. It's never recovered yep. from it. Yep. Um, so Barry speaks to that, in, as you can imagine, in a, in a very emotional way. <laughs> so what Tristan Casabianca did when, when he literally, he's a lawyer, and he, um, you know, filed this lawsuit against the British Museum, and then he got this raw data. Um, Tristan became what we call, you know, a Shroud rock star. Because he got all this publicity. In fact, he spoke at our January 2020 event at the museum. And um, so what he did was really phenomenal because he reopened the book and said, here, all this research that you all have just assumed, you know, just take it at face value for, you know, for decades now. And based on that, the shroud is fake. Well, in fact, look again, um, this research does not, in fact, uh, determine what you think it determines. Did an amazing thing, and of course, for many decades, and it's continuing, is that there are demands for for new testing because Sterp Barry, you know, what Barry was the photographer on, that was forty scientists. They were physicists. They were physicists. They were doctors. They were just all these you know high degreed uh, people that really did not have an agenda. They were just trying to figure out what this thing was, and what happened was they. They passionately did believe that it was that this, in fact, is worthy of further study. But unfortunately, when it when it 1988 happened, you know, that's the end of it. So now there's been this calls for like there has to be more study because in 1978, the testing, the physical instruments that they had were, you could say, you know, they were ancient by you know by today's standards. You know, between today and 1978, as you know, uh, there's been a technological revolution. And I mean, I remember one time Barry told me, because you can see pictures of this, they literally had this, this huge truck where they were unloading all their equipment. I remember him saying if, that today they would only need like, you know, a van, a little van to unload everything they need. Everything has shrunk. Everything has gotten smaller. Everything is, you know, a lot of it's internet based. I mean, they basically... Have, technology has come so far since 1978 that you know the tests that they would do today are, are different, or the same tests they would perform with you know with different instruments. Uh, the point is, there's so much value to be gained from a a new 21st century study that it's just unfortunate that the um, you know the powers that be, the Holy See, um, just you know has has not allowed it. It has to be. It has to happen at some point. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And, um, uh, and I don't know, I think the next Shroud viewing is going to be 2025, and maybe they'll do something similar and have a STIRP 2 or something like that. Well, um, yeah, <laughs> if that was going to happen, I think it would already be. Well, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. So uh, maybe I'm just too, way too hopeful. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but all you're, we can do is just pray that, um, you know, that there will be some testing, um, 21st century testing that that will come around. In the meantime, other people do some tests. So yeah. it's not like, you know, science has stopped on the shroud, but but to actually get, you know, hands on. Uh, you think about it, it's pretty amazing. STIRP was the first and only hands-on comprehensive study mm. ever performed. It was done for five days in um, in 1978. Yeah, and uh, and five uh, action-packed days, too. Barry said he barely got to sleep. I don't think right. any of the scientists uh, got to sleep and um and then plus then the setup was delayed and so then they it was it must have been a week or two of just absolute uh you know just just constant on the go on the go on the go and then when it's over then the coffee and the rush kind of ends and then i guess you can finally sleep so uh all right well let me ask you a question though what would what do you think uh would happen if the let's say that there is a, a new round of testing and it um what and i don't know i don't know if the if you know the problem is you can easily prove a negative but it's hard to prove a positive but let's say that the scientific testing could prove a positive what do you think that message would do for the uh, for the world and christianity and and certainly non-christians mm-hmm. uh, when you say prove a positive you mean that they could determine that the image on the cloth dated back to you know, so 33 AD, the time, exactly. the time of Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. There have been studies that actually have, you know, they believe have, have gotten close to, to proving that. Um, but again, it goes down to, I, I think because you're dealing with Jesus, God, savior of the world, there's always going to be a way for people to, to debunk it. Uh, they just gonna say, Oh, I still don't believe it. You can, <laughs> you can just hear it now. You can just hear it. it it's like, yep. no matter what, there are going to be people that are going to say, no, this, I don't believe it. I'm sorry. This is fake. Um, so it's just, a, it's a matter of, of just, you know, those who want to believe will believe. And those that, that have no interest in, in believing, you know, they'll find, uh, they'll find excuses to believe. Yeah. yeah. Not believe it. Yeah. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I do know a couple of people that, uh, you know, they do not believe or. Well, I take it back. I guess there's probably the non-believer, the believers that believe that it is not true. Then there's the the people that say, well, I don't know. And be honest with you, it doesn't matter to me. I still have my my Christian faith, which I think is critical. And, you know, in reality, you don't need to have the shroud being proven as authentic. And and have that as being the reason why you have your Christian faith. Your Christian faith should be totally separate from that. So this is it's more of a kind of an archaeological study to be able to prove that it's true. It has nothing to do with whether you're going to have your faith or not. Mm-hmm. I get that all the time um, about people saying that oh I don't I don't need this job. You know, it has nothing to do with my faith. Uh, I get comments constantly about that whenever i write a piece uh on the shroud uh that it's probably the overwhelming criticism don't need it doesn't impact my faith and to that i like to say 
that I believe that the shroud is the doubting Thomas of our age. I believe the shroud exists because even though you may not need it for your faith, but others may need it, just like doubting Thomas needed to see the wounds in Jesus's hands before he believed. Well, there are other people out there that that maybe don't believe just the way we all do without proof. I mean, I believed in Jesus before I even knew about the shroud. So, but there are other people that it's just almost like they're adamant about it. You know, I don't want to know about the shroud because it doesn't impact my faith. Okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, but they aren't really adamant about it. It's it's very yeah. weird. They're very emotional, very touchy um, because they just, they think for some reason, and don't, don't ask me why, that it, that it, it's like, it, it, it takes away from their faith. It's like, how is that even possible? But it's like, it demeans it somehow. Explain that to me. But if you've met, if you run into people like that, you understand what I'm talking about. Yes. It's like they, they just don't want to go there. I, I have my faith. Don't go there. Don't tell me about the shadow turn. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, but it does bring people to faith. I mean, it, it's been proven that it does that for those who I believe need that physical proof. Well, and there's, there's always that, um, you know, that little thing that just brings either could bring you back to, to faith. It could strengthen your faith. And then if you really have a strong faith, then it has nothing to do with that. Um, you know, I, and I don't know, I guess there's people that fall into all of those different buckets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that is very true. Um, I'd like to think that if this wasn't, just, just say hypothetically, if if the man of the shroud was just, you know, some ordinary guy that was crucified, um, then I, I believe they would say, yeah, this is a guy that was crucified and, you know, he dated from this time and and yeah, he endured some torture. But but the fact that it's Jesus is a whole nother realm mm. that you you have to attach the passion, literally, and the emotion uh, all rolled up to, you know, the, the faith part of it. So just on its surface, when you look at the scientific facts that they do know about this shroud, they do know in the, the mysteries that cannot be explained. There is, there's so much going on there that you could probably bring this, you know, to a court of law and say, okay, you know, here's the evidence, um, you know, is this real or not? And I think the jury would agree that, yeah, what else could it possibly be? It's so overwhelmingly um, unexplainable (laughs) by any metric possible. You know, the fact that we live in, you know, 2022 and and science still does not know how how this image got on the shroud and how photographic, how a photographic negative could come out of, because I happen to have my shroud poster right here, um, how from this you could exactly. get you could get that. And yep. that wasn't discovered until 1898. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, for so for centuries, they were holding up the shroud uh, at royal events and weddings and coronations and things. And they had no idea that in that shroud was was magic you could say that that was waiting to be discovered in 1898 and well certainly in the 70s what happened with the distance information that wasn't discovered until the 70s yeah well and certainly the uh, the negative 
you know, there's nobody, I don't even think people had ever even heard of a negative image. What's a negative image? And so, uh, you know, when Secundo Pia took that picture and then developed the negative and then saw that image, that must have been a, a real, just an eye-opening blast into his mind of, of, uh, of what was truly on that shroud. Uh, you brought up another... It. Yeah, you brought he up another he was seeing Jesus. That's what that's what he yeah. thought. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, you brought up another interesting point, though, and that is the man in the shroud. Uh, and there's kind of two things that are going on in the shroud. I think there's the one is you have all the bloodstains uh, that match then a, a crucified man. You have all of the whippings uh, and the stains from that, which match then somebody that would was uh, just terribly uh, beaten and flogged and what have you. And so, uh, you know, if you think about that, that kind of then in, in reality uh, matches the date of the shroud back to the, uh, you know, the turn of the, the, the millennium in Roman times and Jesus times. But then you have the images, these miraculous images that uh, modern science 2000 years later still can't figure out exactly how those images were, were put on there and how they were formed and, and what have you. And, and that, that miraculousness then has to then point directly to Jesus. And then lastly, if that was a, a crucified man, that was just, you know, Guy Powell, I got crucified. Nobody'd keep that thing for 2000 years. They would have thrown it away and or they would have, you know, they would have buried it with the with whoever it was and it would have been, you know, destroyed or whatever when the body then decayed. And and yet this particular piece of cloth has been kept for 2000 years because it was clearly of value to all those people that had it throughout those 2000 years. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in fact, I've, I've written a piece, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago on why does the shroud still exist? I mean, all the times that it could have been burned, particularly in the, the fire in 1532, I mean, all those um, all those really bizarre looking marks that yeah. that confuse people on the side of, um, of the, the, the image in the middle. But then on both sides, you have these weird marks that are because the shroud was folded up and, and pieces, little drops of molten silver um, burned through it. And then when they unfolded it, created this almost like an origami tie dye looking mm. effect. Um, you know, it was in a wall for 400 years. I mean, basically, you know, why does it still exist? It's, it's pointing to that same reason. I believe it exists to be the doubting Thomas of our time. Um, you know, that's that's just my my own personal opinion. Um, one other mystery that, in fact, Dr. Cheryl White uh, brought this out in um, one of our Shroud events, uh, October 9th, um, 2021 at the Museum of the Bible. Um, she said that, that the image is fading. We know that the um, the shroud image that you see with the naked eye, this right here, uh, is is fading. It maybe have to do with just you know natural light or who knows you know why, but it's anyway it is fading. However, <laughs> this is amazing. The the photo negative image when you when you take it with film, it that is not fading. So this part that is what you can see clearer about what the man of the shroud endured, that is not fading. <laughs> so figure that one out. Yeah, that is, uh, that is very interesting. And I really did uh, appreciate the, the messages that, uh, you know, that Cheryl made about that. And that, that it really makes, I don't, I don't know, that, that in and of itself is kind of a miracle that, uh, that the, you know, the two are there, the one is, the one is fading, the other one is not. So 
Absolutely. There is definitely, to your point, there's something miraculous about the image. And then, of course, why would people have venerated this cloth for 2,000 years if it was not, you know, the true burial cloth? If it was just of a crucified man who was just another, you know, another Guy Powell that was flogged and then crucified, it it makes absolutely no sense. It has to be uh, the, you know, the authentic burial cloth of Jesus Christ, uh, just for, you know, for those three reasons, even without, those are kind of logical reasons, even without any scientific testing. Well, I mean, obviously, too, uh, the, the body never decomposed. Mm. I mean, you, the shroud does not show a decomposed body. Um, so obviously that man of the shroud wasn't in that shroud for very long. <laughs> so yeah. figure that one out too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So let me ask you, let me change the subject a little bit. Um, so if, uh, so the museum of the Bible, which, uh, I've been associated now with for a couple of years and you have too. And uh, certainly with a mission to, you know, bring the Bible to as many people as possible. So now we have the Shroud exhibit. Uh, what do you think would be like the next big thing for the for the museum to uh, to have? Well, if, to continue on the same Shroud theme, <laughs> I think they ought to do an exhibit. First of all, I think they ought to make parts of the Shroud exhibit permanent. And they should also then do another exhibit on the Sidarium of Oviedo, uh, which I remember telling um, you know, one of the curators, actually both curators, um, Brian Hyland and uh, Jeff Kloha, I remember saying to them, you know, you really need to do more about the Sidarium of, of Oviedo. And they go, yeah, you know, we're going to do something. Well, you know, they they did a little, I think on their timeline, you know, somewhere you, you, you see it. But for the most part, the Sidarium of Oviedo, which most of your viewers probably have no idea what I'm talking about, um, but basically I, I believe they should in fact do that. Would you like to, do you know much about it? Would you like to tell your viewers about it? Yeah, I, I will, but I'll let you talk about it. Uh, why don't you explain what it is and where Oviedo Spain is and okay. uh, go from there. Um, okay. Let's start with what is it? <laughs> That's such a funny name. The Sidarium of Oviedo. Well, Oviedo <laughs> is, is Spain, Oviedo, Spain, and in a cathedral, um, they have a piece of cloth that is in the Bible. It's referred to as the napkin or the handkerchief, depending on the translation. But when um, when John and Peter went into the tomb, um, they saw the, the cloths, plural, lying there. And one of them was folded, and that was the, the handkerchief or the napkin. Well, that handkerchief or napkin is actually the size of really a handkerchief or a napkin. Um, and it is, it, it's unusual because it has uh, all sorts of stains on it, blood stains and, you know, all sorts of fluid stains that are associated with someone who's just died a, a violent death. Uh, it does not have an image like the shroud has an image. So that, that is really, really important. Um, but the Sidarium of Oviedo does have uh, these stains that forensic studies have shown that when you put the Sidarium, lay it over the face of the man, the face of the man of the shroud, the bruises and the wounds match up. And they have actually done forensic studies about this that prove without a shadow of a doubt that 
these two cloths touch the same person. Um, the blood type, which is also rare, it's, it's type AB. It is not a common blood type. Um, that is the blood type that is that has been determined, human blood type, male, uh, that is on the shroud and also on the sidereum of Oviedo. So the fact that both cloths have the same rare blood, uh, you know, right there is, is really defies, you know, statistics. I remember one um, event I was at, they said, how many people in this room? There, there were like about over 100 people in the room. And, and uh, I think it was actually the um, papal nuncio. Archbishop Christoph Pierre, um, who's like the Vatican ambassador um, to the U.S., um, he asked the people in the room, uh, "How many people here have type A P type A B blood?" And one man raised his hand. You're not gonna believe who that one man was. My husband, oh. <laughs> <laughs> who always likes to say, "I have the same blood type as Jesus." It's like, okay, we know you're holy, um, but he does, <laughs> which is actually amazing. Uh, but anyway, so the fact that 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 blood type is very rare and does cover, and it is found on both these cloths. Um, the Sudarium of, Ovi of Oviedo, uh, I believe, has been in Oviedo, Spain since about the 600s, uh, or at least it's been dated to about the 600s. Again, carbon dating is, is very weird with these things um, because there has been, there was radiation. If, if in fact, the shroud, uh, the image on the shroud was formed through a burst of radiation, that means that radiation would have affected anything that was in, you know, that, that cave or, you know, tomb. Um, but anyway, I believe the earliest dating for that is the 600s. Uh, I could be wrong. No, that, but anyway, the right. point is it exists and it lives in Oviedo, Spain, and they bring it out. I think it's twice a year. In fact, Barry Schwartz, the famous Barry Schwartz from shroud.com, he's actually seen it. And um, if, if you do some editing on this, you might want to put a picture of it on there. It's basically a cloth that has stains on it. No, not yep. very attractive. Yep. Um, but what makes it most interesting is when you do see how the two correspond together. So anyway, back to your original question, uh, I would like to see an exhibit about the Sidereum of Oviedo because people don't know about it. It's, it's not, not very many people know about it at all. And it, I believe, in fact, I've written about this uh, as my headline many years ago. I wrote a piece on National Review and it was one of my most you know, popular pieces. And it was about how the Sidereum of Oviedo, in fact, authenticated the Shroud of Turin. Uh, because I would say, oh, there's nothing we can compare it to. Well, Sidereum Roviedo, you can compare it to. And there have been studies that have proven that. So I believe they should do that. And um, that's answer to your question. Yeah, no, that's a uh, that's a, that's a good answer. And I like that. And I, and and, uh, you know, it's interesting. The anti shroudists say, well, there's only a history of the shroud, written history of the shroud, you know, from the middle 1300s. And um, and yet the shroud, like you said, matches then the sudarium of Oviedo and the written history of the sudarium goes back to like 640, 644 or so. Mm -hmm. And so if they are truly the same, the same blood, the same matching stains and things like that, then technically the fact that the sudarium goes back to 640 means also that there's kind of a an implied history of the shroud back to 640. Mm -hmm. Well, let me explain to your viewers what, what it actually is, though. The sedarium is supposedly the face cloth that when, like, for instance, somebody dies in a tragic accident, the first thing they do is put a, a cloth over the person's face or cover the or cover the body with a sheet or something. Um, at the time when they took Jesus off the cross, they 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 put the, this face cloth on him to cover his face out of respect. 
So that's what that, that's what that stems from. But then when they wrapped him in the shroud, they did not wrap him with yeah. the sidereum oviator. They then took that off and, and I guess they left it in the tomb uh, and, and, you know, let, I don't know what they folded it, but it ended up being folded. Yep. Yeah. Um, and they, they left it in the tomb and same thing with the shroud because it had, well, the shroud was on Jesus, but uh, the same thing with other things that have the individual's blood on them. If uh, you know, you have all of those things that have uh, blood or parts of the body on it have to be buried together in the tomb. And, and that's why that face cloth, uh, the sedarium of Oviedo was, was uh, apparently saved uh, in the tomb and then found in the tomb by Peter and, and John and, and the others that, that that went in there the next day. You know, there have been other um, shot exhibits I have been to. I know the one in Jerusalem that's at the Notre Dame Center. Um, that one also has a replica of the Sidarium of Oviedo. Um, so it, it's not uncommon to have the Sidarium of Oviedo, um, you know, a, a replica of it exhibit along with the Shroud uh, mm -hmm. in certain exhibits. But uh, at the Museum of the Bible, they, you know, they didn't exhibit. It is mentioned in their timeline. Um, but you have to kind of, you know, dig to find it. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm glad you pointed that out. I, I spent, uh, an hour twice in the exhibit. And I don't remember seeing that, but I was so mesmerized by the replica of the, uh, of the linen cloth, uh, that I ended up missing a whole bunch of other stuff. And, mm -hmm. and so, uh, so I did miss that, but that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that, uh, that is a good, next step and and to your point you could get a replica of the sudarium and then you could you know show its history and then ask that question well if the history of this goes back to 640 then why would we not conclude that the history of the shroud goes back to 640 at least and i when uh, cheryl uh, white was there and she spoke <clears throat> and i asked her i you know i she's a professor of history and uh, so i asked her well why isn't um, an image of the shroud considered history and so for example there are the coins the justinian coins and the constant constantinian coins uh the justinians are from the 640s and the other ones are from the 940s and those images have many points of uh congruence with the shroud and i said I, so i asked her i says well why don't why don't those uh coins why aren't they considered also history it's written then in a different form. It's not written in words. It's written in, in art. Yeah, that is, yeah, that is very, very true. Um, it's the shroud is in a class by itself. It's the most studied artifact in the world. And um, Cheryl has spoken about how she first got interested in the shroud. Um, you might want to have her on your podcast to talk about it, but I'm, I will just tell the story, which I always thought was just so fascinating. Cheryl is a professor of um, middle, middle ages history. And when she first heard about the shroud and particularly that it was dated to, um, you know, 12, 12, um, 1260 12, 1260 to 1390. Yeah. 1390. Um, she thought it was odd because here she is a professor of middle ages history and had never heard of this artist <laughs> <laughs> artist, quote unquote, who did this amazing, miraculous piece of art, uh, never did anything else, didn't sign it. Uh, this, you know, just this spectacular one off that has, um, you know, photographic mysteries in it before, you know, 500 years before photography was ever invented. Um, so she was like, how could this be a middle ages 
fraud or, or, or how can it possibly have come from a middle ages artist? So that's what got her in fact, you know, interested in the whole thing. Yeah. And, and uh, just as a tease, so I do have her scheduled for about two weeks from now. So oh, good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely looking forward to hearing her backstory as yeah. well on how she got involved in the shroud. Yeah, she might actually, you know, say that. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. but I think that that makes a really good point. And that is, if in fact the carbon dating is to be believed, then there, then it had to be a from an artist and b who is that artist? And in fact, why is whatever whatever medium they use? Why does it in fact seep into the cloth? The image of the of the shroud, in fact, sits on top of the cloth. It's the first mm-hmm. two microfibers. Uh, Barry Schwartz used to say, "You could scrape it off with a razor." It does not seep into the cloth. It doesn't adhere to the cloth. Um, you know, please tell me in the Middle Ages if you can find some kind of substance that, in fact, would not seep into the cloth. The blood seeps into the cloth. The blood was on the on the cloth first, which would make sense. You think about the the sequence of events um, of what happened on that uh, Good Friday, um, as I like to say in shroud research. You know, blood first, image second. But the shroud itself does not does not seep into the cloth. So trying to find a middle middle ages artist that um, you know could <laughs> know about photography, know about three D, know have a miracle substance that doesn't seep into the cloth, um, and also knew anatomy perfectly. I mean, one of the things that that's so astounding about the actual image of the man of the shroud is the mystery of the four fingers. Um, do you want to talk about that? So I don't have to do so much talking. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll do that. Uh, and um, yeah, so to Myra's point that the anatomy of the body of the image on the shroud is a perfect, it is, it is a perfect replica of, of a crucified man. And it has all of the points that you would expect. And one of the biggest ones are the hands. So the hands are are uh, folded over the, uh, the, uh, the the groin of, of the body. And um, and what you see is you don't see any any uh, thumbs. You see the four fingers. You don't see any thumbs. And uh, exactly. And what what uh, is known from uh, forensic medicine nowadays, modern forensic medicine, is if you are to uh, have your wrists pierced, then that piercing breaks a tendon, cuts a tendon, and that uh, tendon then. Uh, when it's broken, then forces or pulls, and I don't know how it works, but it it pulls the thumb in. So I don't know if I'm showing it very well, but it pulls the thumb in. And so then when the two wrists then are pierced with the uh, with the with the nails, then those two thumbs are bent in and then they're covered over like that. And that is what you see. And so what Myra's point is, though, is that how did a middle ages artist know all of these different points to be able to accurately render an image, however they would have been able to do it, but accurately render an image that would, uh, uh, that would you know, replicate what you see on the shroud. And, well, um, and that the right there fingers, is almost impossible. The four fingers are, are just astounding because that defies common sense. If you were going to paint this picture of this man, on a linen cloth, why in the world would you only paint four fingers? <laughs> okay, that, it just makes no sense. And and to that point, 
Um, the other thing that we know is that, and as you see today, when Jesus is um, displayed in churches on a crucifix, oftentimes the the wound, the nail marks are right through his the palm of his hand. And in fact, that did not happen either. As you see on the shroud, the, the wound marks were through the wrist. That's because the, the wrist can hold the weight of the body more than the than if, yep. if the nails were in the palm of the hand. So why would a Middle Ages ages artist um, paint something that is contrary to what was normally seen in churches? Uh, there's no way he would have showed the pierce marks through the wrist. He would have showed it through the hands. Well, there, um, those two things alone are just yeah, <laughs> yeah, right mind there. blowing. And there, there are so many little things just like that. And, uh, you know, and that artist would have had to have been an expert in ancient Jewish language to realize that uh, when when a Jew would say the hand, that it actually means from the wrist forward. And, uh, you know, and, and how would they have known that unless they they were an, a, a real good scholar on, you know, on ancient Jewish, uh, on, on ancient Jewish writing and, and language. So all of those pieces just make it almost impossible. Now, for me, though, uh, what I think happened is that maybe somebody sent a laser, <laughs> a laser machine back in, in time, back to the 1260s or the 1390s, and that artist ended up doing that. that but anyway, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> you're down with that too. So, <laughs> whatever, just as long as it's not Jesus in the cloth. Just tell me anything. I just yeah. don't want to go there. I, but that's you know, but that's how people think. I mean, that's yeah. that's yeah. the sad thing yeah. about it. It's like you know, it's not Jesus. I, you cannot convince me. Well, I I was in uh, I went to the uh, Marc Chagall Museum in um, southern France. I don't remember where it was. And uh, I didn't realize how to actually take the tour. And I'm walking around. It's this circular museum. And I walk around the outside first. And I don't know. I didn't realize I should have gone into the center first. And I'm walking around and there's all these little drafts of images of how um how he wanted to put this painting together and that painting together, but it was all a little draft and they were like sketches and, you know, a little bit of painting maybe, but mostly the drafts. And then I went into the center of the museum and well, there they all are, these beautiful images that he's been able to paint. Well, if I was an artist and using Chagall as my example, then where are all of the test images that that artist painted to get the method uh, right so that he could paint or however he made that image, that he could paint the image, reproduce that image of the body where he tested it first to make sure it worked. There would have been all these other, you know, trials of, that he would have done. Plus he would have done, you know, maybe he would have done women. Maybe he would have done something else using that same style. Where are they? If they don't exist, then how could this one image have been done without all those practice attempts? And why wouldn't he have tried it again with other, you know, with other attempts? Leonardo da Vinci, in fact, there's there's books of his sketches that that he did before yeah. he actually did, you know, what he yep. considered the real one. Another um, mystery of the image itself is the fact that the the image has consistent depth to it, which is impossible to do with a human hand. If if I'm painting something, no matter how hard I try, some of the paint's going to be just even, you know, a teeny bit thicker than another part of the of the paint of the painting. But the shroud, the image is completely uniform. Every little speck of that image is completely uniform, does not vary in depth. And that is, a human cannot do that. Impossible. Uh, you know, and that's something that you don't usually hear that much. It's just one of the 
you know, many, many mysteries that, as I always like to say, you know, the more you study the Shroud, the more you learn, the more you realize there is more to learn and how this cloth is, is, has to be the authentic burial Shroud of Christ because it can't be anything else to explain all these mysteries that just keep going on and on and on. Yep. Yep. I, I can't, couldn't agree with you more. Um, and with that, uh, now that we've come to that conclusion that it is the authentic <laughs> burial cloth of Jesus Christ, um, our time is up. And um, oh. I, as much as I'd like to go on, I, uh, I would love to, and maybe we'll do this again in a, in a couple of weeks or months and uh, go from there. But Myra, thank you so much. You are awesome. And uh, I really appreciate, uh, you know, having the time to spend with you and definitely Whatever you do, make sure you also visit signfromgod.com.org.org.org.org. I'm holding it up. Sign for, don't listen to him. Let's look at this. Signfromgod.org. .org. Signfromgod.org. Signfromgod. Coffee mug. <laughs> and um, and then you'll get a uh, and apparently you'll get a free coffee mug uh, for a thirty five dollar donation. So I'm going to send mine in so I get one. <laughs> well, thank you. They they really are inspiring. I always like to say that you can contemplate the the face of the man in the shroud every morning, and uh, you know if you're lucky, you'll turn it into wine. If in fact you you like wine, but not everyone does. So yes, we'll <laughs> turn it into your favorite drink, whatever that That's is, right. hot chocolate yeah. in some cases. Absolutely. And then otherwise, uh, definitely go to uh, museumofthebible.org. I got that one right this time. See and, if and you can visit the uh, the museum. And, uh, and absolutely, her book, The Bible Study for Those Who Don't Read the Bible, is available now. On, at, on Amazon, and then she's about to have a volume two. And then I would imagine as she's written another year's worth of, uh, of Bible studies, she'll have volume three. So I fantastic. So. I, as long uh, as Town Hall readers keep reading, um, and Town Hall keeps allowing me to write a Bible study on a secular political site, which makes no sense, really, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> well, whoever said there was no controversy in religion or in politics? Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Guy. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. And then otherwise, please stay tuned for many other videos in this series of the backstory on the Shroud of Turin. And please visit GuyPowell.com, thistime.com, and sign up for more episodes. Thank you very much, Myra. It was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.